welcome. Go Royals. Yeah, something like that. Hey, uh, I'm sure this will come not as a shock to any of you, but I don't always know what to do. I wish I did, but I don't. There's a, a, a night that specifically comes to my mind, September 20th, 2012. It's about 12.30 in the morning. My wife all of a sudden screams, Kyle! Got your attention. My water just broke. Oh, no. You see, there's something about having a kid, right? You're supposed to kind of plan for it. You're supposed to kind of know what to do. You're supposed to go to these classes. They're lame, but you have to go to them. And in these classes, these lame ones, uh, they tell you stuff that turns out is kind of important. You're supposed to pay attention. They tell you about pregnancy. They tell you about having a baby. They tell you what the hospital experience is going to be like. They tell you how to get there, where to go, where to park, everything you need to know. Well, I was a cool guy in those meetings, and I wasn't paying attention. I'm sure I was on my phone. And so I missed a lot of those details. And so the night that my water, not my water, uh, that would be weird. The night that my wife's water broke, I had no idea what to do. I mean, I literally started running around the house. I have no idea why. I'm just running around the house. She's like, Kyle, what are you doing? I was like, I don't know. What do we do? She says, I think we should go to the hospital. Touche. So we jump into the car and we go to the hospital and we get to the parking lot or what I think is the parking lot to go into the door that I think we're supposed to go into, but I missed those important details and said meetings. And I don't know why, but I parked the car and I just run. And that's the theme. I just run to the door. I didn't even open the door for my wife. She's sitting in the car. I run to the hospital door. I pull it. It's locked. I'm pulling really hard, still locked. I'm looking back at Noelle, looking at the door. I don't know what to do. So I run through a parking lot and I go try another door. Locked. What do I do? I go to another door, locked. So I just, I just abandoned the doors at this point. I run back to the car. I said, no, I, I literally have no idea. We're going we're gonna to drive around to the other side of the hospital. We're just going to go to the ER. Well, it turns out that's what we were supposed to do all the, the whole time. And I just missed that detail. We went in. We had a kid several hours later. Good times. <laughs> See, I didn't know what to do in that moment. I should have paid attention, but I didn't. I wonder how... If any of us in this room have ever experienced that with God, God, what do we do? What are we supposed to do? Like, God, I'm trying to follow you. I'm trying to trust you. I want to walk with you. I want to be faithful to you. I want to know you, to live for you. But I just don't know what to do. See, maybe, maybe you're forced with a really tough decision. Maybe you're in a new situation Something that you're having to decide for the first time and you're trying to seek God's wisdom. Should I take this internship? It's going to look really good on my resume. Or should I forego that internship and go to Japan for the summer and serve with Veritas? It's a hard question. I don't know what the right answer is. Should I move out of my sorority house into an apartment with friends? Or should I stay in? Invest. Be a part of what God is doing in Greek life. It's a hard question. God, what do we do? What do you want from us? Maybe you've been a Christian for a really long time. 
And yet, you find yourself struggling with the same kinds of sins and habits over and over. God, it's so frustrating. What do you, what do you want me to do? I try, and I try, and I try, and yet I still slip into it. What should I do? Maybe you're sitting here tonight for the very first time. This is your first semester at Veritas. First time. Maybe it's your first year. And so all of this stuff is new. The prayers, the songs we sing, the Bible, this meeting. Everything about what we're doing, it's new. And so maybe as a result of everything being new, things in your life are starting to change. Maybe one of those things is your friends who you hang out with, who you spend your time with. God, what am I supposed to do? All of my friends are going out again. They're going out, they're getting drunk, they're drinking underage. I know you don't want that for me, but what am I supposed to do? Everyone else is doing it. I'm left at home on a Friday night yet again. God, what do you want me to do? You see, wouldn't it be nice if God just told us exactly what to do in those situations? Would it be nice if God would just tell us what to do? Because when he doesn't, it feels like, God, you're just kind of leaving me hanging. I, it would be so much easier if you just told me what to do. But here's the deal. God, tell, God does tell us what to do. He tells us what to do in his word, in the Bible. You see, the Bible is full of tangible examples and reminders of what God wants from us, what he wants from his people. But it's not just reminders of what to do. It's not just examples of what to do. He also tells us why he wants us to do that. And I think he does that because he knows that sometimes we forget. Sometimes we lose sight of what God wants and why he wants it. And when we do that, we start to wander from his path. We go astray. We lose sight of where God wants us to go. And we start to confuse where God wants to go with where we want to go. We start to confuse God's desires and God's will for our life with our will and our desires. And sometimes those things don't line up. Sometimes God, God's path is a very different path than the path that seems most natural to us. That's hard. You see, but these issues aren't unique to us in 2015. no. God's people, Israel, in the Old Testament, they struggle with the same things, the same questions. God, we don't know what to do, but it kind of feels like you're leaving us hanging. You see, but we learn tonight in our text that God doesn't leave his people hanging at all. He doesn't leave them stuck in their doubts. He doesn't leave them stuck in their confusion and frustration. Instead, he gives them constant reminders of what he's most concerned with, what he wants for his people, what he wants his people to do. Look with me, Deuteronomy chapter 10, 12 and 13. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. What does God want his people to do? What is God most concerned with? He says, I want you to fear me. Not be afraid of me. No, I want you to have a sense of awe. I want you to have a sense of reverence. 
before me. A couple weeks ago, I was watching a, a 60 Minutes interview, Steve Croft, with President Obama. And regardless of your political views, uh, I was just imagining myself sitting across from the president, asking him questions, questions about decisions that he's made while he's been in office. The kind of awe, the kind of reverence that I would have as I was sitting across the table from our president. And yet, how much more so, how much more awe, how much more reverence should we have if we're sitting across the table from the God, the creator of the universe? See, God says, I I want you to walk in my ways. It's like, you know, when you're a little kid and and it's wintertime and you're playing out in the snow. And someone else has obviously been playing out there too because there's footprints everywhere. And so you as a little kid, you're like trying to just step in those footprints so you don't make your own footprints. You know, God says that he wants to walk, he wants us to walk in our way, his ways. He wants us to imitate him. He wants us to represent him in the world. He wants us to live as his people created in his image. People loving justice and mercy and beauty and goodness. God says, I want you to love me. I want your loyalty. I want your commitment. I want you to serve me with all your heart and with all your soul. And I want you to keep my commandments. I want you to obey me. That's hard. See, God wants us to walk in his path. He wants us to imitate him. He wants us to represent him in this world. He wants us to fear him to love him, to serve him, to obey him. And he tells us why. You see, Moses adds a crucial phrase at the end of verse 13. He says, I want you to do these things for your good. Why do you think that Moses added those three words, for your good? Why do you think God chose to speak those three words through Moses right there? I mean, after all, he could have just stopped and said, I want you to do these things. Why add for your good? This reminds me of a story. When I was a little kid, I was really cool. I really liked to ride bikes. And one particular day, I'm cool riding my bike in front of my mom in our neighborhood. And cruising down the road, cruising down the sidewalk. And my mom says, okay, Kyle, that's great. This is fun. Just make sure you keep your eyes on the road and keep your hands on the handlebars. My third grade, right? So I'm on my cool bike, being a cool dude. And I hear my mom tell me to keep my eyes on the road and my hands on the handlebars. So what do I do? not that. So I think that it's a really cool idea to not look at the road, but to close my eyes. And not only do I think that's a cool idea, I think rather than holding on to the handlebars, I should let go. So here I am cruising down the sidewalk. My eyes are closed. I'm not holding on to the handlebars. I'm on this path. And, and, and I don't really know because my eyes are closed, obviously, but I, I, something starts to feel different. Surely it was that I was now in grass. And before long, this stinking four-by-four post, it was a mailbox post, got in my way. And I don't remember it, but my mom, who was watching me be a cool guy, tells me that I hit that mailbox so hard I backflipped off my bike. I broke my nose, blood everywhere, stitches. I kind of came to in the ER. Yeah, I know, ridiculous. You see, my mom told me to keep my eyes on the road and my hands on the handlebars. But I said, what should I do? And I didn't listen. And so my choice to disobey my mom, who knew what was best for me, literally led me off the path that she told me to stay on. And as a result, I ended up in the ER. 
See, I think that's how God is with us. And see, I think he, he wants us to walk in his ways. He wants us to love him. He wants us to serve him. He wants us to obey his commandments, not because God is interested in just giving us a bunch of arbitrary rules. No, I don't think that's what God is doing. See, God wants a relationship with us. So he gives us his law because he knows it's for our good. But that feels kind of funny, right? Because doesn't God's law and his rules and his commands feel kind of cold sometimes? Like it kind of feels like, we were talking about this in my small group last night, it kind of feels like God's a, a giant fun sucker sometimes. Like he's not, he, he's out to get us, you know, to prevent us from having fun, to let us, to stop us from using our freedom. I know that's how we feel. Now, I feel that way too. See, but the Bible talks about God's law and his commands very differently. Look, we can look at a lot of places, but look at Psalm 119, 105 with me. Here the psalmist says, God, your word, your law, your commands, lamp to my feet and a light to my path. See, one of the things that God's law does is provide a lamp for our feet and a light for our path as we walk through life. That question, God, what do you want me to do? God wants us to follow his law because his law is a means by which he nourishes a relationship with us. You see, that's because God isn't the kind of God that leaves his people hanging. Just like my mom wanted me to keep my eyes on the road and my hands on the handlebars, God gives us his law because as our loving Father in heaven, he knows what's best for us. He's totally committed to a relationship with us, with his people. And so he goes to great lengths to remind them what staying on the path looks like and why it's for our good. That's why he gives us his law. He says it's for your good. Why? Because God is saying, following my law is a way of being like me in the world. You see, Moses knows that Israel wants to trust God, but they need encouragement, and they need reminders of what God's ways actually look like. You know, what does God want from them? What does God want from us? Well, he says he wants us to show him reverence, think president. He wants us to walk, follow in his ways, just like little kids in the snow. He wants us to love him, to serve him, to obey him. See, that's what it means to be a part of the family of God. My wife and I recently have been watching a show on Netflix, Bloodline. Uh, maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't. Uh, but if you haven't, um, without giving too much of the plot away, it's essentially, amongst other things, a story about a messy family, right? And this particular family has different characters within the family, and, and one is kind of the proverbial golden boy. Then you've got this classic misfit, right? The guy that, that continues to mess up, to make destructive choices, to kind of hurt everybody in the family and in his life. And so as the plot kind of goes on, the family gets more and more sick of this guy, of the son. They get tired of him, but there's a family business. And so he was kind of in line, but they decide rather let's disown him. Let's disown him for the golden boy. You see, in that show, part of being in that family, that guy was disowned. God doesn't disown you. Being a part of God's family, he doesn't disown you. No, God invites you into the family business. What do you want us to do, God? I want you to follow me. I want you 
to be like me. And he tells them why. Look, look at the next few verses. Moses says this. He says, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart and love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. You see, God says, look, everything in the world belongs to me. I was there in the beginning. I made it. I own it. I have authority over earth and all that is in it. And if that's not enough, if the creator of the world, the owner of the world telling you that his law, his ways are for your good, if that's not enough, he goes further. He says, how about this? Out of love, I chose to enter into the world. And more specifically, I chose to enter into a relationship with you, my people. I chose to love you. I chose to save you. You didn't do anything to earn that. You don't deserve it. But I chose you. I love you. Freely I give that love to you. And so follow me. Be like me. So the question becomes, how do we do that? How are we to be like God? Verse 16. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. What does God want us to do? He says right here, he wants us to circumcise our heart. Okay, I know that's weird, right? Sounds weird. Go ahead, giggle, it's fine. It's fine. But see, here's the deal. Circumcision in the Old Testament. For some reason, I always get the weird verses that I have to talk about. Circumcision in the Old Testament, right? It's this outward sign that a family had entered into a committed relationship with God. And so here, what Moses is doing is he's picking up on that language. He's picking up on that language and he's applying it to our hearts. What does God want from us? Well, he says he wants us to cut off our old commitments that lead us away from the path that God has marked out for us. God wants a passionate commitment to him from our hearts. See, God wants our love. He wants our loyalty. He's not interested in us just going through the motions. He's not fooled by our mechanical attempts to follow him. He's not interested in fake religiosity. No, God wants our heart. He wants our love. He says, and when we love God this way, ironically, what begins to happen is that we actually start enjoying to obey God. We start enjoying serving him, walking in his ways. You see, our outward obedience to God is really just a heart issue. And that's why when we fail to obey, really what's happening is that we're failing to love God more than we love ourselves. But God is calling us to cut away our old commitments. He's calling us to get our heart right. That's really hard. That's really hard. Think for a second about running a marathon. Full disclosure, I've never done it. Uh, never will. <laughs> but it's hard, right? You've got to do a lot. From what I know, you have to train for a really, really, really stupid amount of time. You got to say no to a lot of things, right? You can't watch Bloodline on Netflix anymore. You can't eat nachos at Addison's at 
10.30 at night, every Monday night, like I do. You have to say no to doing fun things because the regimen and the discipline that it takes to train for a marathon is difficult. And so we have to say no to some of our old lifestyle to embrace a new one because we know that we want to get to the end of that race. See, God is calling us to do the same thing, to follow him, to obey him, to love him, to serve him faithfully. Sometimes it means that we have to change how we live. We have to cut away some of our old commitment, some of our old allegiances, some of our old habits. More specifically, I think it changes how and what we love. See, we want to trust God. We want to walk with God, but we waver, right? We have mixed motives. We wander from the path, and we wonder, God, what should I do? God says, I'm not going to leave you hanging. Follow me, because I know the way, and that way is for your good. I chose you. I love you. I saved you. I desire a relationship with you. Now circumcise your heart as a response and a way of loving me. And the whole basis of us loving God is that God first loved us when we didn't deserve it. We didn't earn God's love. We don't deserve it. We never will. First John 4.19 We love God because God first loved us. ways do you need to circumcise your heart? What areas of your life do you need to be stop being so stubborn? What areas of your life do you need to cut away some of your old commitments so that you can make a new commitment to follow God? Where are you failing to love God? Where are you failing to love others as God calls us to? See, God wants us to walk in his ways. He wants us to be like him because walking in his way is for our good because it's a reflection of who God is. Being a part of the family business of God is loving people the way that God loves us. Not just when it's easy. We don't love people just when it's convenient. That's not what it says. It doesn't say love people when they earn your respect, when they do enough stuff for you. God didn't do that with us. God says, if you want to be a part of this family, part of what that means is that you're going to do the same for others as I've done for you. Who specifically are these others? These people that God is calling us to love. Look at these next verses, 17 and 18. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. You see, we said earlier that God is creator, he's owner, but he's also Lord, the Lord. No other God, no other human king can match God's authority and power. See, but the amazing thing about God is that he is a God who uses his own power to help the powerless. God is completely committed to loving his people, Israel. And yet here, we see that God is also completely committed to justice for the fatherless, the widow, the sojourner. In other words, God cares significantly about using his strength to care for the weak, 
to protecting, providing for those who have difficulty and doing that for themselves. See, God's love, he doesn't keep it for himself. It spills out into the world, into everyday life. So what does God want us to do? How can we be like him? 19, love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners. Give them food and clothing. You see, remember, Israel had been poor, right? They were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. They were, racial minor- they were a racial minority. But God hears their cries, and he comes to the rescue, not because they deserved it. They couldn't do it on their own. But God rescues them because of his grace and his mercy when they were aliens in a foreign land. And so he's speaking here to his people now. What does he want Israel to do? What does he want us to do? He says, just as I've used my own strength to defend, love, care for the weak, so too should you. Let me ask you a question. How often do you think about these kinds of people? Take it a step further. How often do you actually help these kinds of people? See, I know in asking that question, it's a self-indictment. I'm, I'm for sure just as guilty. But you see, I think when we start to get God's grace, when we really start to understand it deep down in our hearts, when we really start to comprehend what God has rescued us from, slavery to sin. You see, we can't help but be motivated to help others, help those in need. So last week, Patrick asked us a question. He says, what are we going to do with our freedom? What are we going to do with our hands? And so are we a people? Are we a community of people at Mizzou committed to justice as much as God is committed to justice? Is this a community of people at Mizzou that cares for the powerless? Do we love foreigners? Are we willing to sacrifice our own time and comfort to help the weak? See, that's exactly what God did for us. We are those people. So I think the more that we get this reality, the more that we're motivated to be a part of organizations on campus like IJM, International Justice Mission. You know, organizations like that who are working to seriously alleviate big time injustice throughout the world. Or maybe serving in ministries like Granny's House, you know, working with inner city kids in Columbia. Or CORE, another ministry, great ministry in town, working with middle and high school students, student athletes, particularly with academics, tutoring, mentoring. Maybe it means spending your Christmas break, part of it, or your spring break, serving in a village like Harmon's Jamaica working to alleviate poverty by bringing clothing, building houses, and food. You see, maybe it's just noticing and spending time with neglected students in your dorm, your fraternity, sorority house, your apartment complex. Maybe it's being a friend, someone to listen to someone who's experienced the horrors of sexual violence. See, are we a people that care enough to wade into the messiness and brokenness with people. That's what God wants. That's part of what it means to walk in God's ways. 
See, we need reminders of what God wants because we don't always know what to do. We don't always know what to do. Sometimes we lose sight of that. Sometimes we lose sight of what God wants. And that's why God in his word, that's why he's saying to each of us, I'm not going to leave you hanging. Follow me. I know the way. See, what's really cool about this passage, Moses is in front of Israel and he's talking to them. The same group of people, if we fast forward to the book of Joshua in the Old Testament, they're standing on the cusp of the promised land. You know, the land that God had promised Abram all the way back in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 12. They're standing on the cusp. They see it. They're getting ready to enter into it. Right? All they literally have to do is cross the Jordan and it's theirs. But before they do, God comes to them and he says, no, let me go first. Let me go first so that you would know the way to go. Because you haven't gone this way before. You see, God was literally saying to his people, you don't know what to do. But follow me. Let me show you. And so God walks ahead of his people as they cross into the land that he had promised them. I want to invite the music team to come back up, and and I'll close with this. See, God went before his people so that they would know what to do. That's exactly, that is exactly what Jesus does for us. You see, as God, Jesus puts on flesh, and he comes to earth to dwell and to be with his people. And he says to his disciples, he says, follow me. My business here is being about the family business. I've come to show you what it means to walk in God's ways. I've come to show you what it means to love God, what it means to serve God, what it means to obey God. You see, my business is to do the Father's will. And so the night before Jesus is crucified, we read in the Gospels that Jesus is in a garden. And in what must have been the darkest moments of Jesus' life, Jesus is praying. And he's asking God, God, what, what do you want me to do? He's sweating blood. He's terrified. Father, if there is any way to avoid what's coming tomorrow, dying on that cross, take it from me. Take it from me. But God says, no. Trust me. I have a plan. Jesus obeys because Jesus knew that it was for his good. So what does God want you to do? He wants you to walk in his ways. He wants you to revere him, to love him, to serve him with all of your heart and with all of your soul, to obey his commands. God says, follow me. Walk in my ways. 